So hi everyone, welcome back to 20 Minute Marketing. Um, it's been a little bit of a while since the last episode. I'm really excited to get back into the swing of things. Um, the last episodes were out probably two or three months ago now, so I'm aware that we need to get the ball rolling again. Um, let's get started. So today we have a very exciting guest that has a lot of experience in the industry. He's going to be sharing a few insights and principles for us that I, I believe you might not be aware of, so that'll be great to uh, hear about. Um, so let's get started. Hi, Eric. How are you? And can you quickly introduce yourself to us a bit of your background and who you I'm are? I'm good, Liam. Thank you. Uh, my name is Eric Oler, and I'm the Global Digital Content Marketing Manager for Kodak Alaris. Uh, prior to that, I've done several things. Um, I worked for New York State in IT for about 12 years. My background was in computer science, and i uh, tried a couple startups in my day and uh, eventually found my calling with marketing. Nice. Um, what is it that Alaris do at the moment, just for anyone that doesn't know who they are? So Alaris is a business of Kodak Alaris. Um, when Eastman Kodak went bankrupt, uh, Kodak Alaris sprung out of that and is owned actually by the UK Pension Fund. Um, we make scanners, software, and services for uh, businesses, um, partner resellers, uh, BPOs, and... Um, things like that. Got you. So nice little bit of a connection between us with the UK pension, I guess. <laughs> it's um, kind of a weird ownership structure, um, um, but it, it works so far and we're, we're profitable and doing well. That's good. Yep. Nice to hear. Um, so yeah, let's move on into the main section um, and have a deep chat about marketing. So stay tuned, everyone. All right, everyone. So now it's time to chat about marketing and Eric is going to provide us hopefully with some great insights and knowledge, as I mentioned previously. Um, we're going to start talking um, a little bit about how Eric uh, originally started in programming and how that's influenced and sort of affected how he um, markets his company and how he sees marketing. Yeah. So my background is in computer science. Um, I got a bachelor's degree in that. And most of my career up until the past few years was in, I guess, traditionally technical roles, um, either programming or IT support or uh, database work or web development. Um, and 10 years ago, it's, it's funny, 10 years ago when I was doing uh, web development for a startup, National Football Post, um, I was also doing SEM and SEO and a lot of the technical things behind the scenes. And 10 years ago, that just sort of fell by default to the web person, whoever that was, and or the, the most technical person in the room. And fast forward to 2019, and, it, and those are like the coveted skills for a marketer. So it's, I, I, yeah, that's, <laughs> I kind yeah. of stumbled into this <laughs> position in a, in a weird way because I was doing a lot of the digital marketing stuff back when it was just the responsibilities of the technical person, even um, social yeah. media management and, and managing your sort of your MarTech stack, if you will, um, was, was it, it, again, it just fell to the web person. So, um, and coming from that background, I sort of view everything as ones and zeros. What levers can I tweak and what, what things can I do to make the most out of our, out of our budget and out of our resources, whether that's um, staff time or how we, how we outsource things. So I think a lot of a lot of companies and a lot of marketers um, spend money and resources in the wrong places. So 
for instance, a marketing firm, if, you, if you're outsourcing some of your creative work and a marketing firm is, is more than happy to take a couple hundred or a thousand dollars to do a PowerPoint presentation for you. But that same PowerPoint could probably be outsourced through Fiverr or Upwork or one of these gig economy sites for a fraction of the cost. Um, so I've, I've started taking that approach to the sort of the low level tasks that we need to do within our organization and freeing the creative people on my team up to be creative. Um, that is a, that's a more specialized skill, especially in a B2B business um, knowledge of our channel partners and knowledge of how we're, how we sell our scanners, software and services. Um, really, I want the people who know that best to be able to focus on messaging and delivering the kind of the themes for the year as, and I'll outsource all of the other things that aren't directly contributing to that and furthering that. Okay. I think it's interesting as well, because you mentioned sort of like using Fiverr for PowerPoints yeah. and thing, things. And I think you can, you can also have someone in-house who spends a lot of time on that stuff. And ultimately you send it to a client or a prospective client and all they really do is scroll down to the pricing page or they, they don't actually take in a lot of the quality yeah. on there anyway potentially um so obviously it's it's utilizing resources is much more effective to, to maybe go on fiverr or use someone else in the gig economy to do that and you know it's still going to be at a pretty good level while you're doing anything else yeah it's really do. finding finding specialists in whatever the the area um that you have is so even um, i started my own podcast with our, for our company because that's what i enjoy doing i do voiceover work on the side i have a studio at home so you look at what resources you have um, and then what content and what strategy can you create that caters to the, caters to the things that you specialize in. Um, and I, I, uh, I don't know if you follow Naval Ravikant at all, but um, he has this great bit about the three, if, if you find the three skills that you do better than most people and you combine those that's the one thing that that's one skill set that you have that almost nobody else has. Um, and that's something you could probably even form a business out of because the likelihood of someone having those three specialty areas in combination is, is so rare. Um, so in my case, it was, I really like storytelling and creativity. I really like audio production and I like talking about technology with people. Um, so those three things make it great for me to have a podcast about data that serves our our mission as a business. So it works out well. Yeah. And I'm sure there won't be that many other people who pick those three things. It's very yeah. Unique. So even if our, even if one of our competitors um, has somebody in house that can do one or two of those things, they may not produce the podcast to the same quality or the same level that we are. Um, it, it's a tough thing to follow. Like if you, if you focus on the things that you specialize in it, that's a difficult, that's a competitive advantage. That's difficult to replicate. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to move on to like a slightly different topic yeah. um, just because we like to keep everything, um, like to keep everything flowing on the podcast and try and cover as much as possible in the short yeah. amount of time. Um, so with you working at Alaris, it's um, also B2B. Um, I was wondering if you, what your thoughts on are on B two B challenges and how you go about sort of marketing your company in in B two B. Yeah, marketing. it is completely different than 
the B2C world, which um, is a lot of what I did before this uh, with National Football Post. We had a, a B2C like educa- online education product, but switching to B2B, especially in our world where we're not selling directly, we're not even selling directly to businesses. We're selling to, I guess we are, we're selling to resellers who are then selling to businesses. So it's, it's multi-tiered channel. Uh, and that is a, that's a different buying cycle. The, I mean, the buying cycle and the buyer's journey is really, it can, it can span the course of a year or two. Um, so when you're, you're playing that longer game with marketing, you really have to have content and a strategy that appeals to those buyers at every stage of that journey. So consideration isn't just consideration when I'm Googling something. It's, it's a long three or four month stretch of consideration where they're going to be researching, they're going to be doing price comparison, of course, but then they're going to be looking at things like um, the quality of the scanners. So with, with document scanners, I don't know how familiar you are with them, but um, the OCR read rate is the, is kind of the secret sauce of all of them. Like how good you can recognize how good the characters you scan can be recognized by software on the other end is really the, the differentiator between the best scanners and the worst scanners. And uh, we, we do pride ourselves on having a high OCR read rate, but the, to get that message across to another business that's considering buying, you have to put it into the context that they understand. So why is OCR important? Because if you're doing artificial intelligence or robotic process automation on the other end, you need that data to be as clean as possible and as good as possible. But um, kind of trailed off where I was going with that, but <laughs> the, the, the... <laughs> it, it is interesting to hear your um, sort of view on it as well, especially because you were in a very technical yeah. company. Um, so like when we're trying to market our product to people, some people just have instant thoughts about SMS providers. They might automatically think SMS is spam or they might, they, they sometimes take six to 12 months to, to make decisions on what they're going to do in terms of their long-term yeah. strategies. So it's interesting to hear your thoughts on as a B2B company that t- sometimes it takes quite a long time yeah, it is, to convert. It is sort of the same there where it is, it, it, it takes a long while. And, and we have, we have a weird slide that we have internally where it shows all these phases of the buyer's journey. And even after they're, uh, even after they're a client, they can revert back pretty easily to, to researching different options. If you're not providing like the, the after the sale service, or if, um, if some new technology comes along that your product isn't compatible with. So you always have to be on top of every phase of the buyer's journey. And as a, as the head of the content team, it is, it's a challenge to, um, be able to speak almost seven, seven or eight different languages because you have to, you have to speak to all those different phases. Um, I think, with you being sort of head of content, we'll just touch on that as well. Do you find anything works better or worse than others? I know that we have difficulty on maybe Facebook in, in terms of converting or driving engagement, even with ads. I think your average person doesn't really want to be looking at an ad from like an automated platform when they're just browsing with their friends or whatever. It, um, whereas LinkedIn works really well for us. Yeah, LinkedIn is where it's at as far as B2B goes. That that's our, our easily our most successful channel. But there are certain niches that Facebook is better for. So with Facebook, um, when you drill down, you can that it's one of the only platforms where people will self-identify as, say, a small business owner 
or um, you can even narrow by business page admins on Facebook, which actually turns out to be a pretty good buyer. Or you can do a, a combination of small business owner and interest in healthcare or something like whatever your, yeah. whatever your vertical is, you can, you can get to them on Facebook, but it isn't as effective as LinkedIn where you can really, you can target the C-suite, you can target any role in any company. Um, yeah. You pay a little bit more, <laughs> as I'm yeah, sure you found. <laughs> but um, Facebook's good value for the click if you're if you're going after the right buyer or that. So, like I said, we we're, we're having some success with it with small business, just because you can get right in front of them. Yeah. Um, and I, we, because Facebook is um, Facebook owns Instagram, you're also you can use Instagram in that same way if you're looking for that same buyer because I, I think they just share the data. So when you're targeting on Facebook, they do have the option to just hey, target these same people on Instagram? Sure. Um, so that's nice. Yeah, it's really, it works really well when it's cost-effective and they, they think, oh, I just saw this on Facebook as well. Yeah, and the other um, experiments we're kind of trying around, around paid placement are, um, I'm actually starting to look into Overcast and some of the, some of the paid podcast placements. Um, I don't know how many podcasts you listen to outside of your own, but it, it's, it's incredibly effective when you have a host doing a customized read um, a lot of times people don't skip those ads and you have a credible source that you listen to weekly or monthly or however, however often, basically espousing the benefits of your product. And that, that goes a long way. I think I, I there's a reason, um, Spotify is buying up all these podcast networks. Yeah. I noticed yeah. A, a month or two ago, sorry to interrupt, um, the, um, Spotify changed its name from just Spotify to Spotify music and podcasts. So yeah. it speaks a lot about where they're going in the future. Yeah. Um, what was the, uh, just before you said that, I think you said the name of a software or a, a platform. I think the, um, audio just cut out. Oh, um, overcast. So that's overcast. a, it's a podcast. Uh, there's also advertised cast has a bunch of podcasts kind of under their umbrella. There's a bunch of podcast advertising networks and for, a couple hundred dollars, you're, you're, you can get a really good placement um, in, in a niche that is exactly your buyer. So I, I don't want to target people listening to sports podcasts with a scanner, but I do want to target business and technology. And I can get right in front of them with a credible host, with a good listenership um, for a, pretty much on par with um, a really broad like Google Ad, AdWords campaign. Uh, but really honing in on the buyer that you want. Yeah, I think that's like a really unique way of doing it. I don't really see anyone else really jumping on it at the moment either. And I don't know about you, but if, if there's an advertisement that's really catchy, it would be much more effective and stand out to myself than just reading a Google ad. Yeah, there's a lot of product in my in, in my house right now that came as a result of podcast ads. I think uh, Dollar <laughs> so Shave working. Club is one. There's there's a couple others that I I, <laughs> I know that I used a, a podcast promo code. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's definitely working. Then um, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of it moving forward. Yeah. Um, so we only have a couple more minutes left of this main sort of um, section. Just wondering if you have anything else that you'd like to share or any insights or experience at all? Yeah, it's sort of tangential to what we were just talking about, but the um, dynamic retargeting is also this hugely, un, uh, I guess, underutilized opportunity um, for B2B buyers. So I don't know how much, if you've gotten into it at all, but um, Google buckets users based on 
where they visited, what they're intri- what they're shopping for, and what they're what they're googling. Um, so they put these users into buckets like uh, printers, scanners, and faxes, which would be the one that I'm interested in. <laughs> um, yeah. Even like computers or sports equipment, whatever whatever the niche is, they put you in these buckets. So you can effectively retarget people who are interested in those things, which is if, if they're interested in those things and they're going to those sites, they're in that buyer's journey pretty far. They're, they're in that consideration phase. Um, and you can even target people. So we've done it with our website where if they visit a certain, uh, a certain product page, and I'm sure you've had this, you've, you've seen this in your, in your day-to-day life, but then you see that product later on, or you see a banner ad for that product yeah. later. Um, I know that's been somewhat, somewhat curbed by GDPR lately, but, uh, and, and the cookie tracking, but uh-huh. um, it's still the wild west here in the U.S. So we, yeah. we're, we're using that as well yeah. um, and finding that to be a, a much more effective spend than just a broad AdWords campaign. Yeah, I think as well, re- when you set up remarketing as well on Google, it's a lot cheaper yeah. um, than your average click. And you get to add imagery as well. Um, I know you can do that with like shopping ads um, and display ads, but you get to essentially get people to keep thinking about you. Yeah, we experimented a little bit with um, a program called Google Accelerator. We were accepted as like a beta partner for them uh, where they were trying to do dynamic dynamic retargeting where the ad itself would dynamically generate so it would have like a placeholder for an image a placeholder for text and a placeholder for a call to action and based on what the user's behavior it would like it would try five to ten iterations of all three of those slots but the ads just at least in our version it wasn't quite there yet like the um the ads just weren't like aesthetically appealing they couldn't nail it it's still yeah. better to, I'm still better off loading five or six of my own creatives in and doing the A-B testing that way. Yeah, of course. And then A-B, A-B testing as a whole as a subject that if we had time for, I'm sure we could um, chat about for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> especially in, with your background as well, I'm sure you utilize that a lot. Um, but unfortunately, we just don't have the time. So um We're going to wrap up there for the middle section and then we're going to move on to the final section, which usually just takes a few more minutes now. So hopefully you all keep listening. Uh, We'll be right back with you. All right. And just to finish off, everyone, we are going to talk a little bit about graduate advice, um, which, as I always mention, is good to listen to if you are a graduate or if you're someone who's looking to hire one or if you're in the hiring process right now, um, just provides you with a few insights that um, industry experts are willing to share with you all. Um, so, Eric, what do you think graduates can do in the very competitive market these days to stand out? I would say to start, write a lot. Like, write especially if you want to get into a creative field like marketing, write something every day and just force yourself to write because one of the rarer things in this field is good storytellers. Um, I, I know a lot of, a lot of marketers in other companies that actually just outsource that piece of their, their work because they don't have the ability to tell an effective story or an effective narrative, uh, learn about the elements of storytelling, um, setting up a conflict or, a an antagonist and um, really studying the elements of, of, of good stories. Combine that with 
some technical know-how. Um, the, the technical stuff, though, you can always learn. Like there, there's plenty of free courses online. Uh, Google has a thing called Digital Marketing Garage that's very good as a primer yeah. for for anybody who's looking to learn some you things. You could use something like Moz too. That really helps you out. Yep. So you you can always learn the ins and outs, but the storytelling piece is really one of those intangibles. And when I'm interviewing somebody for a position, uh, that's I, I try to get them to tell me a story, and if they can. I, I know that they've got the chops for it because yeah. that's, that's the kind of the, the X factor. Um, yeah, I, I would agree as well. It really, you can tell when someone's, when you read in a blog and someone's like a good writer, you just instantly want to read more and find out a little bit more about them. Um, yeah. And that transcends every piece of content that they're going to create. Even if, it, if it's a short ad or if it's a, a longer video, um, that, that skill applies to all of it because if you can connect with, the viewer or you can connect with the audience in any format you're you're going to be effective yeah that's a good point to mention as well it runs all the way down to your google ads um and every single piece of content that you write as well it's not just the whole long blog um main piece of body and some people might already be there they might be a good storyteller already but um if if you're not or you don't think that you're not sure if you are write every day and that's the way you do it even if it's just about your day or something funny that you saw on the way to work or yeah um, or sports or anything yeah even if it, you don't publish it anywhere if it's just for you i've got uh, my the notes on my iphone are usually just me rambling in the car on the way on the way to work um like speech to text and I've, maybe i'll do something with it someday maybe i won't but it's really <laughs> about it's about articulating what you're thinking and getting it out there and, and learning new ways to say it. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much summed up quite a lot of this section. I was going to ask you maybe if you had any anything that can help graduates like other than um, maybe technical knowledge, but you've covered it all. Maybe just <laughs> pick a pen up and start writing or pick your phone up and write some creative ideas down maybe. Yeah, I would also get, if I can add one more. Yeah, I would sure. also get get knowledgeable about a lot of current technologies. Um, I keep harping on RPA because I think that at least for the next five to 10 years, that's, that's the future. Um, you don't have to know how to, you don't have to be a programmer to learn RPA uh, software like UiPath or automation anywhere really makes it easy. It's a drag and drop interface. So any, any manual task that you do every day, you can automate with RPA. And if you learn that as a marketer, you're going to, I, I not to use the Gary V cliches, but you're going to, you're, you're going to 10 X your return on your time. Um, if you can have a robot doing some of the things that you don't want to do. Yeah. So learn those technologies because in 10 years, much like 10 years ago, I was doing the SEM stuff in 10 years. If you're on current technology, that's going to be the marketer 10 years from now. So learn about it. All right. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. So thanks for being, (laughs) thanks for being an awesome guest. Um, I hope everyone enjoys the episode as much as I did. Um, And yeah, thank you, Eric. Thank you, Liam. Have a good day. You too. Thank you.